Father works all things out for good, doesn't he? And uh, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe I'm just more sensitive to this than uh, normal, but um, there is a fellowship of the Spirit that uh, you sense with uh, people that we don't even see sitting here in this room, but uh, we know that you're out there joining us, and uh, the Spirit of Jesus is uniting us around his word, um, fellowshipping together. Father, Son, and Spirit. I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We we are going to continue to make our way through Paul's letters to his young protege, Timothy, and we're going to get to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in just a bit. But first, I believe there's some spade work that we need to do, and I believe that Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 is maybe the best place to get it done. When I was a when I was a boy growing up in my home church, the elders seemed old to me. Uh, their names all started with Mr. and seemed to end with Son. There was Mr. Hansen, Mr. Larson, Mr. Peterson, and then there was Mr. Smith. I don't know how he got in there, but uh, I liked him a lot because he was my uncle. Um, in the New Testament, the words translated elder or overseer or pastor are always used interchangeably. When you're talking about an elder, you're talking about a pastor. When you're talking about an overseer, you're talking about an elder. An elder is not necessarily the same as older. 1 Timothy 4.12 admonishes the church not to take uh, a disrespectful posture toward Pastor Timothy just because he was a young elder. And what, what is further apparent in the New Testament is that elders are always men. That's what we have been considering the last couple weeks. And even though uh, all elders are men, not all men are elders. Elders always provide oversight and leadership. They manage the affairs of the church. According to 1 Timothy 5, 17, they're expected to rule well. In the New Testament, the word translated pastor, that's a rural, uh, agrarian term from the root word pasture. And it is associated with the task of a shepherd. And in the Bible, the best shepherding is demonstrated in the life and the love of God revealed in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in an ultimate sense, the, the shepherd that we need most is Jesus himself. Nevertheless, as a gift to his dearly loved flock, the chief shepherd appoints men as under shepherds to tend the flock that he purchased with his own blood. And like the chief shepherd, these under shepherds or pastors, elders, overseers, whichever term that we use, they watch over the flock entrusted to their care. And they do so by leading and feeding and caring and protecting the sheep. Now, because Making disciples who will make disciples and developing shepherd leaders who will develop shepherd leaders 
who will gather and care for spiritual communities that will proclaim the glory of the gospel of God in the person and work of Jesus. Since that is so fundamental to our mission, I want to open a window into what that process looks like in the light of God's word. We're going to start with Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And my purpose, my aim this morning is to, is to stir up a, a high view of church governance. In a little bit, we're going to see that this is a, a noble task. And uh, I, I want to seek to magnify that and get you to feel that the worthy uh, nobility and excellence of this, this task. But we'll start with Hebrews 13, 17. Follow along as I um, read God's word. The word says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's God's holy and authoritative word. Please pray with me. Again, Lord, we just pause thanking you that by your spirit you communicate to us through scripture. Thank you that your word is not bound. Thank you that your work is not limited geographically. Thank you, God, that we can gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and know and experience your nearness with us. And we want to have a disposition now, today, of hearing, of yielding, of submitting to your word, to your will. Pour out your grace upon us now, in Jesus' name, amen. It feels a little awkward to draw attention to this particular text because doing so could be construed as uh, self-serving on my part. It's awkward um, because I have observed, uh, maybe as some of you have observed, self-serving pastors who were domineering, autocratic, manipulative. I have observed men in leadership who use their position and people to gain uh, status and strokes for their ego. Loved ones, that is not biblical leadership. And so I just say it now. Hopefully you'll hear me say it again and again. But if you see that here in me, in your elders, it must be confronted and you have permission to do so. Governance in the household of God is intended to proclaim the glory of God, not so that someone can feel good about himself. The biblical authors are well aware that elders themselves are also sheep. The biblical writers know full well that elders are tempted, just like every other sinner. And so this text, Hebrews 13, 17, addresses elders, pastors, overseers. So you're listening in right now on God addressing me, addressing Ryan, addressing Logan. God is speaking directly and honestly to leaders, and he is speaking directly and honestly 
also to followers. And so it is a kind of awkward text, but let's just lean into that awkwardness and let God himself address us regarding governance in the household of God and how it relates to all of us. So Hebrews 13, 17 does a couple things. First of all, it points us to the goal of church governance. And second, it defines the role of church governance. And once we've looked at those things, then I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 and answer the question, what would we tell someone who feels a stirring to take on this task, this role? of oversight, of spiritual leadership, governance in the household of God. So first of all, we're going to look at the goal of spiritual leadership. What is the goal of church governance? Look again at Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grumbling. And here's the key phrase, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, so there it is. The goal of those who govern the household of God is to advantage the people, to benefit the people, to take initiative for the sake of the good of the people. We all need this kind of leadership. And when we remember that Christ is the chief shepherd, the chief pastoral leader, we begin to recognize how crucial, how essential this kind of leadership is in all of our lives. You see, sheep desperately need shepherding. We have a family friend who keeps sheep, and uh, when our boys were young, we visited that sheep farm, and uh, when you are among sheep, you recognize these creatures are they're like they're like nearly blind it seems they have no no natural defense mechanism the 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 only dangerous thing about sheep is that they are so needy they have to be led to water and food or they will die sheep need care sheep need leadership sheep need protection and therefore sheep need shepherds and so the bible calls us all of us, to think of ourselves in a spiritual sense as sheep. Whether or not we've experienced the forgiveness of God, we are utterly helpless against the power of indwelling sin. Just, just try going sinless. And add to that the reality that the devil hunts us moment by moment. He's savage. He's supernatural. And we are his prey. And then there's the world that we live in that is hostile to almost everything that we hold sacred. It's just morally upside down, sexed up, a battlefield of temptation. And then there are wolves in sheep's clothing roaming among the churches. Sheep need to be shepherded by Jesus directly as well as by elders, overseers, who are given to the church by God. Now, what particular advantage or good does the writer of Hebrews have in mind? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9 provides some light. 
It says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. That, that really sounds a lot like Paul's concerns in 1 Timothy, right? Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. God means to strengthen the hearts of his people by, through grace. Only the active and dynamic grace of God can restrain the power of sin within us and deliver us from the power of sin outside of us. How does God do that? How does he provide the grace that he's, his people so desperately need? Well, one way is through the pastoral care and governance he sends through elders, pastors, overseers. And so the goal of church governance is, above everything else, to strengthen the people of God in the grace of God. When we get that straight, then that helps us to understand texts like Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, which is a familiar passage that says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That helps us make sense of passages like Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the primary concern of the biblical writers is that we wouldn't drift, that we wouldn't swerve, but rather we would persevere. And pastoral care and governance over the household of God is one of the primary means by which God has provided to keep us from making a shipwreck of our faith. It's one of the main means that God uses to communicate his soul-sustaining, faith-enduring grace. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the goal of church governance, the goal of the care and the oversight of elders is it's not only for our current well-being, but ultimately for our eternal well-being. The most significant advantage that pastoral leadership seeks for the God's people is that we can stand together before the Lord on the last day, the day that is approaching, and hear God say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. That, that, that means that there is a weightiness, right, to our life together. 
in missional communities. That means there is a gravity to our participation in discipleship huddles. That means that there is a seriousness about how we hear God's word preach. It's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a soberness about pastoral care a, and a, a nobility to this task. Eternity is at stake. We all wander. We all feel it. We're all in danger of drifting. That's the goal of church governance. Second, the role of church governance. If the goal of church governance is to communicate the faith enduring, sustaining grace of God, then, then how is it that that grace is imparted? What, what, in other words, very simply, do pastors, elders, overseers do? And Hebrews 13, 17 says that they keep watch over your souls. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Pastoral leadership is, in a word, watching. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul exhorts the, the elders of the church in Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word. To care for the church. That, that, that's the word pastor. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So watching people is what pastors do. Now, I don't know about you, but when people, I know somebody's watching me, that makes me feel weird. I don't like being watched. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter, however, whether we like it or not, because we, we all need it. We need it because we're all needy. We're all vulnerable. We're all prone to spiritual drifting and, and swerving. And the ways that pastors watch, the way that elders give oversight, it, it includes gatherings, meetings when we're together, and we, it involves leading the flock in, in worship and song. It involves preaching and teaching, but it also includes gospel conversations and listening to each other and knowing each other and counseling one another and exhorting one another and caring for one another. It, 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 it includes understanding one another's story understanding that story well enough to know how the gospel applies. It includes praying for one another. It includes equipping and directing you into spiritual community. And, and in order for the, the elders of the church to be effective in watching, it also requires a certain level of authority. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For, it says, or because they're keeping watch over your souls. So, so this is kind of the, this is an awkward part. There, there's a kind of watching that's creepy, you know, it's controlling and, you know, uh, can be abusive. And there is a kind of 
On the other hand, there's a kind of disregard for leadership that is arrogant, dangerous, potentially destructive. But here, here's where the wisdom of God comes in. First, pastoral authority, this governance. It is a derived authority. Pastoral authority is derived from the Bible. In other words, submitting to the overseers of the church is an expression of submitting to the Bible. Pastoral authority is defined by the Bible. And good leaders lead based on the Bible. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So, so a pastor's role, an elder's role, an overseer's role is to lead people to pay close attention to the Bible. That's where the living word, Jesus, is. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is the living word. And therefore, pastors lead people to Jesus. Jesus died for sins. Pastors and elders did not die for your sins. Our governing authority is from Jesus in order to lead you to Jesus. And if your pastors, elders are not leading you to Jesus, then it is wrong leadership. But so now here's the other side of the coin. Pa pastoral authority and governance, it, it is imparted, it is exercised mainly through, by, example. And that's why without godly character, a pastor, a, an overseer, a, a, an elder has no authority. He can cry all he wants that the sheep should obey. And, and come on, you need to submit. and be, That's because the Bible says that you're supposed to. But, but if he lacks the integrity and alignment of character, all the crying in the world is not going to do any good. The chief shepherd does not entrust leadership to just anybody. And that's where 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 comes in. So now let's, let's turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And follow along as we hear Paul's words. He writes, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires... To the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And we've just considered what that task involves. Therefore, in light of the weightiness of this task, the excellence of this task, the necessity of this task, the, the crucial nature and eternal uh, significance of this task, an overseer, that is an elder pastor, must be above reproach. Since there is a derived authority to this task, 
he must be above reproach. He must be a man of character. He must be the husband of one wife. He must be sober-minded. His life must look self-controlled and respectable. And He must be hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must not only govern himself well, but he must manage or govern his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There was a time, uh, time flies, but it, it wasn't that long ago when the notion of the office of overseer was, was not so desirable. Um, years past, I, I was part of churches where the, the notion of being an overseer, the notion of serving as an elder, it, it was associated with, with long, really, really, really long, boring meetings that went late into the night. And uh, it was associated with, with uh, really a, a t- tasks that never seemed to get done. <laughs> And things were so hard to get accomplished except wrangling over how to get people to give more, you know, find more volunteers or how to please people or whose feathers needed to be unruffled. It was hardly a noble task. Now, in the last few years, it's, it's rather hip and entrepreneurial to start a church and speak to large crowds and go to the nations. We get dozens of emails and requests for money every year from people we don't even know explaining that God has called them to preach and to reach those who aren't being reached. And since it's their passion to do so, and and since it is such a noble desire, they need us to pay for them to do it. And, And so what do we tell them? What do we say? What does God's word say? The first thing that needs to be cleared up is that it's not the desire itself that is such a noble thing. It's the task. It's the task of knowing and loving and feeding and leading and protecting God's flock that is noble. Desire, of course, that's essential. We call that the internal sense of call. But it is not the only qualification. It, doesn't, it, it does not imply that if I want to, I get to. So based on Paul's instruction to Timothy, what would, what would your elders tell someone? And we would start by gently asking, do you love Jesus? And do you confess that he is Christ? Is this your confession? Jesus is the Christ? 
First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, Paul writes, There's one God. There's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For this, for this truth, for this reality, for this confession, for this proclamation, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then you might say, well, of course, Jesus is my only hope. He, he's the Christ. I'm his, and, and he's mine. And then we would gently ask, and do you love the local church? The local church, that is the household of God. It's where the economy of God is displayed. The church, the pillar and buttress of the truth. In God's economy, it's the household of God that proclaims the glory of God. And so we would ask, are you a member of a local church? Are you joined in a covenant commitment to a spiritual community where you obey and submit to, to the governance of God's household and there are pastors and elders keeping watch over your soul? Who knows you? Who is leading you? Where are you being fed? Who is it that you will give? Who is it that will give an account to the chief shepherd for the sake of your soul? And if you're not a member, well, then we would strongly encourage you to become a member of Emmaus Road Church, and we'd encourage you to take an active posture in participating in our life together. We would say, plug into a missional community. Engage in a discipleship huddle. Join a ministry team. Why? Because that's the way you do life with other Christians. And the way we do life with other Christians is the way we show the life of Jesus if it is there. If someone is truly called to spiritual ministry and leadership, they must be above reproach. That is, they must be examples of a Christ-like life to which they are calling others. And the most natural way for that to be discerned is by doing life together. Just the normal, natural rhythms of everyday, week-in and week-out life, like eating together, preparing meals together telling our stories to one another, serving together, taking on regular responsibilities together where we deal with the unexpected together. It's in these normal, everyday situations where we see the fruit of a life that is joined to Jesus. Is there gratitude or grumbling? Is there humility or arrogance and self-reliance? Is there servanthood or selfish ambition? Is there patience and suffering or discontent? Is there generous heartedness or self-service? Is there a disposition toward hospitality and gratitude and joy? Is he faithful? Is he reliable? Does he show up when he's scheduled to serve? How is he with correction? Is he touchy, prickly, defensive? Can he govern his own appetites? If we knew the frequency and volume of alcohol that he drank, would we say that he's enslaved to it? Are his eating habits an exhibit of self-control? Is he given to violent outbursts? Does he manage his personal finances with prudence? Does his spending reflect biblical priorities? At some point, at some point along the way, we'll probably ask our treasurer, though we don't need to know the specifics, but does this guy give? Does he tithe to the church? And is he a man of God's word? Is he governed by God's word? When you bump him, does the Bible come out? 
if if these are, as Paul says, a must, a must in terms of qualifications, then the watching of them, watching for them, looking for them, in the context of just the normal everyday rhythms, that's going to tell us what's really going on in the inside, whether he's a self-governed person. I can't tell you how important that is. The task of a shepherd is just such plain hard work. Most of the time, there's nobody watching you. And if you can't govern yourself, how are you going to do it? There are enormous pressures, expectations through the roof. Needs are great. Transformation and change typically does not happen overnight. And the heartaches and the problems and the sufferings of the sheep, they're just simply impossible to solve apart from the grace of God and the mercy of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our noble task is often hurtful and disappointing and gut-wrenching. And I can say to you, there is nothing I would rather do in the world. Once we have an idea of whether or not he's capable and faithful in governing himself, then we turn our attention to watching to see if he's capable and faithful in governing his stuff, his household, his family. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So, does it seem that there's any person, does it seem there's anything, whether it's work or obsession with some hobby or somebody that's competing for the time and the affection he should be giving to his wife and his kids? Is he faithful at work? Can he keep a job? Do his colleagues respect him and enjoy working with him? Does he have a reputation for being difficult? Does he pursue his wife in non-sexual ways? With what frequency does he see that his wife gets a Sabbath rest from her work and her time with the children? What steps is he taking to shepherd his kids and help them develop into responsible, fruitful, self-governing adults? And if it's apparent that he's faithful in governing his own household, hmm, well, then perhaps... It's time to entrust him to caring for part of God's household. Start small. Co-lead a missional community. There's a little flock that he can provide oversight and care. Let's see how that goes. And while he's doing so, our elders are watching. <laughs> and, and loved ones, it is at this point... It's at this point when it seems clear that this individual might actually be qualified that the elders are asking the chief shepherd if this individual might also be called. 
qualifications come before the call. There aren't any free agents, you see, in the household of God. Years ago, we, we had, uh, well, not years ago, I'm regularly, we, we, we hear young men tell us they want to be pastors. We, we, we've had men tell us they want to preach. We've had men tell us they want to be missionaries. Um, and they can't get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> and they don't remember the day that they're supposed to serve. And they can't get off their games. And they can't get along with people. And they don't give assent to the church. When do I get to govern the household of God? And we answer, when you've shown that your life is exemplary in governing yourself in your household. Once a man has shown himself faithful in caring for a missional community, we will invite him to consider participating in our elder overseer development process. We start by giving him a 200-question Bible knowledge exam <laughs> to just to see what he knows and what areas need to be shored up. And then we walk men through a fairly vigorous reading plan of systematic theology, probably somewhere around 2,000 pages. Our ordination standards include writing several position papers on categories like Divorce and remarriage, biblical manhood and womanhood, nature and function of spiritual gifts. And then when we've gotten through all that, we give them another 200-question Bible knowledge exam with different questions. And then we give them a written theology exam. And then they sit before our regional ordination committee for an oral exam. And if they pass all that, then our regional assembly of elders votes to ordain them and to appoint them to eldership, overseer, in this local expression of the household of God. And we take such pains because governance of the household of God is a noble task. One last thing. Governance of the household of God proclaims the glory of God. And, and when we're devoted to proclaiming the glory of God, you can be sure that you will find yourself in harm's way. It looks like this, 1 Timothy 3, 6 and 7. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Two times Paul refers to the danger of a spiritual leader falling Two times he refers to the devil. In closing, I would ask that you would pray for your overseers, elders, pastors. I would ask that you would pray for all the men in Emmaus Road Church. 
I would ask that you would pray for their wives and for their children. I would ask that you would pray that God would give to Emmaus Road Church the precious gift of qualified and called overseers for the noble task of knowing and feeding and leading and protecting the household of God so that together we might faithfully and fruitfully proclaim the glory of God. Ask God to give us the grace to be vigilant and watchful and fully attentive to ourselves, governing our own lives, our own character, our own bodies, our own thoughts, our own habits, our own time, our own doctrine, our own teaching, our own households, our homes, our finances, our marriages, our children, our parenting. Ask God to make us vigilant and watchful over our spiritual communities, our missional communities together. This is, this governance is a noble, excellent, uncommon task given by God to proclaim the glory of God. Let's pray together. So my aim, Heavenly Father, has been to be faithful in, in holding out the nobility of a great work, a necessary work, a work that to some degree we're all involved in because all governance proclaims the glory of God. Whether we are single and living all by ourselves or whether we are children under our parents' authority or whether we are young married people with one spouse to look after, or whether our families are large, or whether we have the responsibility and, and task of looking after the souls of, of a missional community with, who knows, 15, 20, 30 people, souls that matter to you, or whether it's a church of missional communities. We need you. We need your grace. We need your life, Lord Jesus. We need you to fill us and sustain us and keep us and hold us fast. We are sheep in need of a shepherd. And you are the chief shepherd. And we love you and we confess you as our Christ. Be exalted, we pray in your name. Amen.